we have this culture that is so so rich and so strong and it's all coming out like all the colors and all the all the sounds and everything like that and it's like it's it's real and you could really feel that and like that's why i think it's it's so powerful right now because yeah we're able to tell our stories we're able to show all this and like i said we have a chip on our shoulder because we're pissed and like we want to be able to show this off and be like, this is what you tried to take away from us. And like, look how much strength it has. And like, look, look at the strength it does have. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Venture Out, a podcast series from Entrepreneur that shares the brave stories of Northerners who are inspiring innovation and community well-being through business. I'm your host, Zena Cowan. We are fires across the tundra. We are ice of a million years. Our mothers, our fathers hold us. We stand together. Okay, get ready to meet a remarkably cool and creative guy whose business is grounded in the phrase, look good, do good, feel good. He's a great storyteller and happens to be one of the most self-aware and reflective people I know. And I think that has played a big part in his development as a flourishing artist and entrepreneur. Who am I talking about? I'll give you a hint. He's an Inuk based out of Arviat Nunavut, whose clothing designs are rocked all across the north and even on runways in Toronto and Paris. So if you guessed the name Nuxlindel, you're bang on. Nux is the lead designer and co-owner of Hinani Design, which is an apparel brand that celebrates Inuit culture and language, as well as the vast beauty of the Arctic landscape. In this episode, you'll hear the creation story behind Hinani, and you'll also hear Nook's own transformation journey. Whenever I get to visit with him, I'm always really struck by his calm, laid-back openness and his vulnerability and his humor, too. He's the sort of person where, you know, if you see them at a party, you just sort of make a beeline for them, and you're like, oh my gosh! I just want to spend the whole evening talking to you. And I think in service to other people, Nooks is always willing to share the difficult times that he's lived through and how he's used those moments as launching pads for his healing and art, and most importantly, his reconnection to family. Speaking of family, in this episode, you're also going to meet Nooks's cousin, Lori Taguna, who is also part of the Hinani team. Nooks and Lori didn't grow up seeing themselves represented in mainstream media, but today they're totally turning that around with Hinani, and they're part of a movement 
a fast-growing, active movement that's driven by Inuit and other indigenous creatives who are breaking new ground. By the way, Kinani means at the flow edge or to be on the edge of something. And I think that perfectly illustrates where Nooks has come to be. So let's dive in. I'm Kenan Nuxlandel, Inuk from Arved Nunwut, and I'm lead designer for Hinani Design. Hinani is a Inuit apparel brand, and there's four of us in the crew. Uh, me and Emma Kruger are here in Arved. Lori Tarongnak is in Echeluit, and Paula Brumbolt is in Kapanitoak, Baker Lake. Uh, so Hinani creates designs, jewelry, and clothing for for Inuit and Northerners. Our inspiration is where we live and our culture, um, and the love and inspiration we get from the wildlife and environment we live in and the culture we have. That's that's what drives our our designs, and um, we found that yeah, a lot of people share the same love. So being able to wear that in casual kind of everyday clothing is the service we try to provide. And we a lot of different designs and a lot of different styles for men and women. And we try to have a wide variety of designs for, for everybody. You can have clothing that kind of helps express uh, your love for your culture and land, but also to express your, your individuality. Nice. I'm just looking at your website right now, and I'm seeing a gorgeous array of caps and dresses and tees, hoodies and and accessories, too. And some have a really bright color palette, and you're using seafoam greens and powder pinks, and then you also use a lot of black. And quite a few styles are labeled as unisex or, or gender fluid. But they've all got very distinct design elements that are strong, and some are really cheeky and playful. And I know that they really pop against the ice and tundra of a northern community. And they also totally stand out on the streets of like downtown Toronto. Nooks, tell me about traditional Inuit clothing and fashion and how Hinani sort of fits into this. Clothing has always been a part of Inuit culture, uh, well, every culture, but with Inuit, there's a very special connection to it because it was so essential. We live in the cold and it was very important to have have good quality clothing, but Inuit didn't just stop there. They, They... they put a lot into how the clothing looked as well, as well as its use. And um, you see that today with um, so many, so many people sewing, sewing beautiful parkas, mitts, uh, hats, 
and um, with with newer materials, but uh, that's still a very strong part of our culture. So where Hinani comes in is the more modern, where like the stuff Inuit we're creating is mainly um, art outdoor uh, outdoor apparel, whereas Hinani is more the stuff you wear inside and the stuff you wear, yeah, like kind of every day casually. And we noticed that there wasn't, yeah, there was a gap there that uh, there wasn't really Inuk stuff that you could wear like t-shirts and leggings and caps. And um, me, myself, uh, I've been designing caps for so long um, since I was, you know, in, in high school and I never, or in middle school, and I never actually thought it would be possible. So when I figured out that you could actually make custom caps, man, that was a happy day. <laughs> That's awesome, Nooks. And now that I think of it, I've never seen you without a cap on. And at any event or gathering that you and I have been at together, you have always been the best dressed dude in the room. I want to start our conversation by asking you about where you live, because I know it plays a really profound role in your design work and also your pride as an Inuk. So you and your incredible partner, Emma, who is also part of the Hinani crew, um, and your two little ones are based in the gorgeous Arviat Nunavut. Can you situate us? <laughs> it's cold and it's flat. <laughs> um, yeah, anybody who's like been to Saskatchewan, like think of that, but even flatter and with no trees. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, it's it's a beautiful place. I will wouldn't I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. It's a great town with um that speaks a lot of Inuktitut. Uh the town is about three thousand people, pretty tight knit. Everybody knows everybody, very free. Like you could just hop on the snowmobile and just go for a rip kinda anywhere. <laughs> and um or the ATV, depending on what what season. And um, yeah, I love I love Arviat. And how would you describe the folks from Arviat? Not like anywhere else. Very funny, very good sense of humor. Also very friendly and very helpful. Yeah, what can I say about Arviat? <laughs> very good sense of humor. We're famous for our radio station, Paluk, which translates to the sound of Arbeat. Yeah, it's kind of famous all over Nunavut <laughs> for kind of how random it is and how awesome it is. People will just go on and either sell stuff or, you know, tell their kids to go home or um, they'll have contests where they um, people just tell the funniest stories and people get to vote. And Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's a great place to live because of where it's at and mostly the people here, all the great people here. 
And Inuktitugula, the Inuktitut is very strong, which is one of the things I love the most. Nooks, do you speak Inuktitut fluently? Uh, no, not totally. Um, I struggle with it a lot. I grew up fluent, um, but actually uh, at about age seven, we moved to Ottawa because my mom became a member of parliament uh, for Nunavut. In about one year is all it took me to almost forget all of my initiative and learn English. And um, for the past over 10, 10 years, maybe 15 years, I've been trying to uh, regain my fluency, and it's definitely a struggle. And that's part of the reason why we have Hinani, and because I grew up, yeah, like like a lot of Inuit, and uh, like a lot of Inuit with being half Inuk, half white. My dad was white. Uh, a lot of identity issues when I was growing up. It, I guess to me, like being Inuk wasn't cool. And um, I struggled, definitely struggled with my identity of being an Inuk or not feeling Inuk enough, even still to this day. Mm-hmm. That identity struggle is a tough one, and I appreciate you sharing that you're still working through it and that it's been a driver behind Hinani. Plus, as you shared you experienced the added challenge of leaving Arviat and moving down south at a young age. I would guess that your mom worked really hard to preserve culture and language at your home in Ottawa. Yeah, she definitely thought about it. And she definitely tried her best to make sure I kept my nuktituk. Um we often traveled back to Avdit for holidays multiple multiple times a year for uh, spring fishing and geese hunting and for summers and for Christmas. And even at, in our home in Ottawa, she off, she mostly spoke to me in Inuktitut. It got to a point where I got, I got frustrated because she kept telling me I got to speak Inuktitut. And I remember one point lashing back and saying, why? because everybody here speaks English and I'm way behind on English, but you're telling me to speak Inuktitut, but it's not doing me any good here. And I'm trying the best as I can to uh, to be better at English so I don't, you know, feel stupid. Um, yeah, I'm the worst at English and you're telling me to speak another language that nobody else speaks. So, um, but... No matter um, how much shit I, I gave her, I guess, uh, she she still never gave up. And um, I, I'm eternally thankful uh, to her for that. Yeah, that must have been really difficult for both you and your mom. And you're feeling confused and she's doing her best to make everything work. In hindsight, Looking back on those years and your relationship with her, what was the greatest gift she gave you, do you think? Love. (laughs) That's something I, I don't know, it's something I guess you don't realize until you're a parent as well. 
yeah, not every not everybody grew up the way I did, and you you start finding that out as you get older. You know, you start noticing that uh, everybody's lives are different, and some some things that you thought everybody kind of had in their lives, they don't. And you grow there, you see the effects it has. And I went through really dark times, but I always knew that. I was loved. We grew up in a very big family, a well-respected family. And I liked that um, my grandparents were so well-respected uh, for being good people and helpful around the community and uh, good hunters and very generous and very wise. And um, so much so that they gave us a privilege that, you know, you can't buy with money. I can go almost anywhere in Nunavut, even outside of Nunavut, and all I have to say is, you know, I'm Akpaleapik Rhoda's grandson, or I'm Johnny Kagatak's grandson, and I'm instantly welcomed into the home. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like a kind of privilege you can't buy. Um, so I, she, my mom raised us knowing that we were privileged, but then also reminding us that it doesn't make you better than anybody and to to treat everybody fairly and equally When Nooks was a young boy, his father, who he had always seen as a superhero, passed away. This, combined with other struggles that Nooks was facing, brought up a lot of pain and anxiety within him that he carried around wherever he went. And for years, Nooks did what he could to protect himself and suppress the darkness. Nooks, you and I have had some really good conversations about addiction because we're both in recovery and we experienced some really dark moments with our alcoholism. How long were you in it? And by in it, I mean actively drinking. I would say about 10 years, over 10 years, just over 10 years, because uh, I started about 12, 13. And Definitely not every day. It was just whenever I could get a hold of it. Yeah, till about 22. I knew I had a problem, um, but I didn't want to admit it uh, because I knew that meant stopping. I knew that I couldn't just have a couple drinks, uh, and that was usually the suggestion by people, you know, talking to me just to um yeah talk to me about my drinking it was usually yeah you, you don't need to stop it's just you need to stop drinking so much and then i would agree but knowing in the back of my head being like no i can't do that because once i have a drink i have to go all out mhm mm yeah i i tried the controlled drinking thing and it was just beyond painful i could not do it yeah me too the first year, 
I tried to um, give myself two drink min- uh, maximum, and I did it, but it was painful. Like, yeah, it was. It was like I would cherish those two drinks, and then I couldn't act normal. It's like I was constantly always thinking, like, am I drinking this too fast or too slow? Like, and then constantly thinking about the next drink or the next and yeah like like i was saying as soon as i kind of like fed the beast it's like you you get that urge and then it becomes so much harder After a while, Nooks got sick and tired of being sick and tired, and he made the conscious decision to get sober. He had support from his partner, Emma, but it wasn't an easy process, as anybody in recovery will tell you. Nooks left Ottawa and went back up north, and this was the beginning of a defining new chapter that led him to ask, who am I and what am I here to do? Nooks, what were you feeling during those early days in sobriety? I'm like, I thought I was funny, but maybe I'm not. Like, maybe it was just the booze because I don't feel funny at all. Like, I just feel like I'm depressing everybody I'm around. And like, like, oh, man, I kind of had, like, I kept asking myself, like, like, who am I? Because I'm lost right now. A lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-hatred. And um, when it started turning around was the one of the biggest things was um, um, me and my brother, or I would, luckily my brother was an Echelit, I was at Echelit at the time. We would go to a shack uh, and he, he, he loves, he likes working on ulus and jewelry. I think that was even before he did jewelry. Uh, he was just starting to make stuff too, and he asked me if I I wanted to to work with him, and I said sure. I didn't have a huge interest in it, and I started working on everything, and I was very unsure of myself, and kind of even scared of all the tools. I wasn't very good at all, and <laughs> I think it took me like three weeks to make my. It was kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and like I screwed up so many times and I was like, this is this is not for me. <laughs> and my brother kept saying, like, well, finish it at least. Like, even if it's not for you, you started it, you finish it. Um, that's my one rule. And I said, Okay, yeah, whatever. So yeah, I remember working really hard on it. Uh, it was the third handle that I made because the first two broke. And then finally I put the pins in and then I looked at it and I was like, ah, yeah, finished it. Fuck. And put it on upside down. <laughs> and I, was, uh, I think I took a break for like a month after that because I was like, yeah, this is not my thing. But luckily, somehow, my brother convinced me to give it another shot. And the second Ulu 
I learned from my mistakes and yeah, it was, it was a lot nicer and yeah, I started um, getting really into it and then I started making more and more stuff and kind of when you're in the, when you're in the shack, it's almost like a, the safe space where you could talk and, or if you don't want to talk, you just, you know, do your thing and cause we're using power tools anyway. So it's loud you get to work with your hands you know you're using your head your your mind your body start kind of forgetting about all the all the other stuff that's happening when it, and then it started being that I would wake up in the morning being like okay I got an idea I want to work on this I want to make that and then slowly and slowly it's almost like I replaced one addiction with the other cuz um instead of think about booze constantly just being like don't drink don't drink don't drink um which was horrible like um it started being like okay now i'm i'm thinking about this i'm thinking about technique and i'm drawing out things so i started drawing again and then i started calling family members because i'm like okay who who do who do i know that knows about this stuff uh my uncle joe uh who's a, also never recovering but he's also really good at making stuff so giving him a call and then a call about how do you do this uh, like asking questions about how to make ulus turns into a three-hour conversation about ulus and family and your past and how past traumas can make you want to drink and like recovery and all that and then you call my aunts and to talk about ulus and that turns into a three-hour conversation, and then I start visiting my aunt and you know, their Ulus and then asking about them and what they like most about them. And, of course, you get tea, you get you get fed, you, you get all that love you're missing out on. And then those 10 years I spent kind of separating away from my family, going further and further, this one thing of just making stuff, making Ulus, something related to my culture started kind of putting that putting all those pieces I kind of was missing back into place and I started feeling like I started feeling better and like you said not white knuckles or whatever and so everything kind of started coming together and I started um, kind of finding myself again as cheesy as that sounds but yeah, it really, really worked. Getting addicted to something else. <laughs> this new love affair with making and creating completely transformed Nooks's world. He had loved to draw as a little boy and was now rediscovering his artistic talents and his deep appreciation for family, for the Arctic, and for his Inuit culture. A seed had been planted and he knew that he wanted to do something creative, not alone, but with others. So in 2016, he and three women, Emma Kruger, his partner, Lori Taguna, and Paula Rumbled, came together and decided to start making clothing. And right away, customers were like, oh, this is hot stuff.
Okay, little throwback nooks. When you and the crew first launched Hinani, what were those designs that really took off and put you guys on the map? The first kind of two products that really set us off was the Inuk t-shirt, which was pretty simple. It just said Inuk with the X of the, uh, with the cross of the Kakivak and the Unak, which Kakivak is a fish spear and the Unak is harpoon for whales and seals. Uh, so it was just very simple, but, you know, it got the point across, you're Inuk. <laughs> and um, the leggings, this was right around the time Alicia uh, came out with Tunit, uh, her documentary about the revitalization of uh, the history and revitalization of face tattoos, Inuit face tattoos. And before then, it was something that was, um, I, I didn't know much about it as a kid. We didn't grow up really learning about them or anything. And there was right around that time, because of that, uh, thanks to Alethea, I think, anyways, uh, there was a huge surge in the, the Inuit tattoos. Also at that time where, you know, a lot of Inuit were ready to reclaim their culture and um, face tattoos and that kind of tattooing, leg tattoos, wrist tattoos was a, a real powerful way to do it, to bring that back because that was something that was banned um, and discouraged. So having those on leggings was really, um, really popular because uh, while people were drawing out their tattoos and, you know, uh, trying to find the perfect ones, this way they could just wear them and, you know, be able to change the next day. <laughs> um, while people are kind of drawing out their the ones that were going to be permanent. And just like the Inuk um, t-shirt, it showed people that you're Inuk and you're proud. Your designs are really reflective of the times and of this elevation of cultural pride across Inuit communities and Indigenous communities at large. And it's coming through like a huge force in art and politics and filmmaking and, and clothing and social media too. And that's a big shift from how things were before, even when you were growing up. Like there was just so little representation and visibility of Inuit culture on large platforms. <laughs> we didn't have social media like we did right now, but um, yeah, everything was kind of like whitewashed. Everything in pop culture was didn't show our culture. And I guess kind of naturally when I was uh, like early teens, I wanted to be like that and Inuit you know, weren't on the internet, weren't on TV. And it seemed like something that was old, something that was like dying off, right? And yeah, and um, during the time that we started and even before then, um, there was that surge of not just Inuit culture, but indigenous culture. As the, and I think that had to do a lot with internet because um, indigenous storytellers and artists were able to share, to share their stories, share their artworks, in a really powerful way and have their own platform because of social media. And um, yeah, it kind of just exploded from there. And so uh, I know definitely we were, 
I'm proud to be Inuk, but for myself, I'm speak, speaking for myself now that I knew there was a point where I wasn't. And I wanted to be able to be part of a change where like Inuk things are all over the place. And I want to be able to show partly how how awesome Inuit are and my way of doing that is through art. When Hanani was just beginning and Nooks was thinking about who his ideal customer would be, he right away thought of his cousin, Lori. Lori is super stylish and beautiful. She knows what she's doing on the land, and she's also a great beadwork artist. Once Lori saw the products that Hanani was coming out with, she was hooked and had big visions for where the brand could go. So in addition to becoming a sort of ideal customer muse, Lori actually joined the Hinani team and began building some really exciting partnerships that have showcased Hinani's designs all over the world. She and Nooks also worked together on Hinani's Hanaugite line, which features a limited, highly exclusive collection of handmade products like jewelry, traditional clothing, and uluit. They even make traditional headpieces that look like crowns and are, as they say, for Inuit queens. Lori, tell me about your relationship with Nooks. Uh, well, Nooks is my cousin and we grew up together, so we've known each other our whole lives. Um, we... <laughs> Um, I think in high school we were friends. Um, we had similar friend circles. We also worked together one summer with uh, the, I think it was the Kivalik Outreach Program and we were youth coordinators. And we, during that summer, we organized a soccer camp and Nooks developed a logo for our soccer camp. And it was of a siksik, like an Arctic ground squirrel, chewing on a soccer ball. <laughs> um, so I think that might have been the first time Nooks developed a logo for something. <laughs> because he's my cousin, because we're both Kagetaps, I feel like we've inherited this approach where if you're gonna make something, you have to do it well. It, like you have to do your best to make it perfect because it is a reflection of you. It's an expression of your identity. Cool. 
And Lori, you've got a full-time job at Makeway, but you're also really committed to Hinani. And it sounds like the whole thing has just been this big adventure for you and has brought you to some amazing places. Yeah, like I love my job now. And I love that there's still constant support for me to be involved with Hinani. Um, and then like the other spaces that I've been in include Indigenous Fashion Week in Toronto. Um, that was amazing. And we met with people from Greenland, people from across the North, um, and also like developed a taste for being in the fashion industry. Following that, we went to Paris with Victoria's Arctic Fashion where I did do beadwork for the garments that were on the runway. Um, I even modeled on a runway in Paris. <laughs> um, I feel like when I'm old and gray, this is for sure something that I'll tell my grandkids. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, totally. And those are some big doors that have opened. For sure, for sure. And like as a kid in Rankin, I would have never imagined that for myself or for us. Mm. And when collaborative projects like Hinani bring the right people together, the creative output and reach just go that much further. How would you explain the big success that you and the team have experienced over the last six years? Well, the products are quality products and they're an expression of identity. And we've reached a point where a hat that says Inuk says a lot and where we find pride in being Inuk. Like 30, 40 years ago, through different colonial practices, we were made to feel shame in ourselves. But we've come a long way since then where we're decolonizing and unpacking that shame and celebrating our culture and identity and our expression. And also there's a movement around new ways to express identity and culture. Um, I think all cultures are fluid, all cultures change. And we're part of that movement, but we're still very much grounded in our foundation as Inuit. And like Nook's designs products that have meaning and things that have truth and meaning will withstand everything like and they'll persist uh-huh and it's finding those ways to translate that meaning into art and clothing that conveys that cultural brilliance you know the expression when you look good feel good do good um i, I feel like that plays a role here um, just thinking about some 
Inuit performers that choose to wear Kinani products or, and how proud I am to see them. And like, for example, Nooks sent me a picture of Beatrice Deer the other day wearing a kaotik and she's on stage and she looks amazing. She looks confident and like she's, she's Inuit excellence. Um, and so at different levels, like we're proud of her for doing so well in her profession as an artist, like proud of her for being a trailblazer in this area but also like wearing the Hinani product um, or not the Hinani product, wearing the Inuit kaotik. Um, like, and like for, I don't know, like it's, I feel like Inuit, are always proud of each other or promote each other and celebrate each other. And like, it's positive to see Inuit excellence.
That song is called Snowblind, and it's by Tanya Tagak from her 2019 EP, Toothsayer. When you unpack the impact behind a business like Hinani, you realize that yes, it happens to exist at the right moment in time, but it's also a cultural driver that is directly influencing the times and what Inuit fashion and entrepreneurship look like today. And for Nooks, it's all wrapped up in shared success with other artists. Yeah, I, I think it was all, it all seems pretty quick. We're very, very fortunate. Um, and like I said, there was like, even right now, there was, there's a rise in indigenous, um, indigenous arts because we have so much like this rich history, uh, this rich culture that they, they had laws in place to try and strip that away from us, to try and strip language away, to try and strip our culture away, to assimilate us. And, um, it didn't work. It nearly worked. It did a ton of damage but we're still here and now we're on the rise because a lot of it to do with social media because we can now tell our stories and show show our art by ourselves through social media because um in the past we weren't in positions of power to be able to show this stuff to tell our story so now we could tell our own story and we're doing it with attitude because a lot of people are like outright like pissed or angry. Like this stuff tried to be taken away from us. Uh, we're still struggling with what happened to us through residential schools and other um, other things that happened during colonization. And yeah, we have this culture that is so so rich and so strong, and it's all coming out like all the colors and all the all the sounds and everything like that. And it's like love you it's real and you could really feel that and like you can that's why i think it's it's so powerful right now because yeah we're able to tell our stories we're able to show all this and like i said we have a chip on our shoulder because we're pissed and like we want to be able to show this off and be like this is what you tried to take away from us and like look how much strength it has and like look look at the strength it does have Nooks, I really hear what you're saying about the collective power of storytelling, especially online and through social media, and the agency and power that comes with that. And there's this rebuilding and reclaiming that is happening, and it's bringing communities together and inspiring these incredible exchanges like i know you've shared that some of your ulus have been purchased by indigenous hide tanners down south and they're using the ulu for their hide tanning practice and this is a really great example of that kinship building and the more that hinani is out there the more opportunities you have to connect with other Indigenous creatives who are also designing pieces that are meant to ignite conversations and cultural confidence. I get so, so happy and try to support artists that are doing similar things. Because, yeah, we have, we have a vast culture and landscape with wildlife. So, like, there's so many designs that you could based on that and 
and it's always a little bit different in the outside or in their or in their region. Knowing that they have a passion in this, it's so good to see. And so you need to be able to to feed that to be to support them and not try to bring them down and try to outdo them. No, support them. Yeah, just in in design and like jewelry, like look at all these amazing beaters and carvers. Like you can't beat that, man. You can't beat <laughs> you can't beat like the earring the earring game that indigenous indigenous people have. Oh man. It's just so cool to see. everybody in the group like right from the beginning because everybody helps make the makes designs is um make it meaningful it, you could make anything kind of look beautiful but um i find that when you have the meaning behind it then it, it like it's so much more natural and then you're it's so much easier <laughs> and on that note of meaning and purpose nooks what is something really important you have learned about entrepreneurship on this Hinani journey? Yeah, like going in, going into business, um, you always hear that it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. But until you go through it, uh, I don't think you could really prepare <laughs> for how difficult it is. Uh, the hustle is physically tiring, mentally tiring. Um, there's a lot of points where... I wanted to give up, just be like, yeah, this, this is too much. I think the biggest thing I learned was that if you're going to go into a business, it'd be something that is very important to you because that may sound kind of broad but, or cheesy, but uh, I think it's true because you're going to go, no matter what kind of business you have, you're going to go through really hard times. And um, if you're not doing something that you love, not just that you love that that really you think is meaningful that your work is not just for you it's helping others yeah like this is for myself that um yeah i probably would have i probably would have gave up uh, if it wasn't something so meaningful to me and i know that it's something that can potentially have an impact on on my son and other inuit yeah that's something I definitely learned that I was happy that we started a business that's doing something that that is really meaningful to me and that I, I really love doing. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes, like I keep saying. So all, all that, um, like running a business and all the logistics and everything, even all the like politics, it can really wear people down. There's a lot of artists out there that have work that would be beautiful on clothing and but it's not just about you know being an artist because there's that whole business side to it and so I'm fortunate 
to have that team with me to have Emma and Paula and Lori that we can really spread that out and use each other's strengths and to um, kind of use each other like uh, have each other I mean emotionally and be able to talk about how hard it is and to hold people accountable but at the same time have a group to be like you know what this is too much we can't do this mm-hmm. um and like be able to say no to a project and be like this is too much um because when it comes down to it like we're all a family and um if something's hurting you like mentally and just too much then we could say like yeah it's not worth it so it's, it's always okay to to back out and say yeah sorry we can't do this um because uh, we really value family and um each other and that's more important than profit or opportunities is that uh, that relationship we all have with each other In this last part of our visit, I asked Nooks some rapid-fire questions before he had to sign off and go back to dad duty, which I know he loves. Nooks, where is your happy place? Um, playing with my son or making a ulu in my shack. Hmm, cool. Uh, what is something you love to treat yourself to? Food. <laughs> Any particular kind of food? Coffee and quok and mukdak. I don't know. I love every kind of food, man. I'll eat anything. Nooks, if you could spend the day with anyone in the world and they could be alive or they could have passed, who would it be? My dad. Hmm. Nooks, what was your dad's name? John. John Lundell. John Lindell. Cool. Nooks, what is one business that you would like to see launched in Arviat? Uh, film production. I think it would work really good here. Uh, there's a lot of Inuktitut speakers here, a lot of creative people here, super funny people here. Um, then I think something similar to what Iglulik has that, um, that I think can happen here. And we need jobs. And uh, a lot of people here just not entertainers and uh, storytellers. Neat. And last question for you today, Nooks. Finish this sentence. Inuit entrepreneurship is? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed visiting with Nooks and Lori, and I know you're thinking, how can I get my hands on some Hinani products? Well, they've got a great online store that does drop shipping. So visit hinani.ca, that's H-I-N 
A-A-N-I.ca, and follow them on Instagram too. Venture Out's production team includes myself and Travis Mercredi. Our theme song is called Fires Across the Tundra by the one and only Leela Gilday. And today's episode also featured the song Snowblind by Tanya Tagak. Our next episode features one of the North's greatest movers and shakers, Katie Johnson. For real, if there is something happening in the Yukon related to arts and culture, I can guarantee that Katie is involved. She's a member of Kluani First Nation and is the owner of Bella Elite Events and Consulting. And she's also the co-founder of the Attica Festival. Katie's mission is to bring people together in really beautiful and unique ways, and she offers them life-changing experiences through culture. I deeply admire Katie's work ethic, as well as her ability to dream big and make things happen. She's also a lot of fun, so you won't want to miss our conversation. You can find Venture Out on all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out through Entrepreneur's Instagram and Facebook, or you can send us an email at podcast at entrepreneur.ca. See you next time. We are fires across the tundra.